You are listening to the Labour Talk podcast, produced by John Beattie. Subscribe on iTunes or listen at soundcloud.com. Hello and welcome to the first Labour Talk podcast. Now for this podcast, I decided to interview Neil Findlay, the MSP for the Lovians region in the Scottish Parliament. Now Neil has just released a book and it's called Socialism and Hope. Now let's hear the interview I did with Neil. So welcome to the Labour Talk podcast. In our first podcast, we're going to be interviewing Neil Findlay, the MSP for the Lovings region in the Scottish Parliament. And Neil has got a new book out called Socialism and Hope, and that will be the topic uh, of this podcast. So Neil, thank you very much for taking the time to do the no podcast. No Neil, tell us a bit about your book, Socialism and Hope. What's the thinking behind it? Uh, well, I didn't plan to write a book. Um, basically, what I've done was... Um, uh, 2014, 1st of January, I thought this might be a bit of an interesting year, um, so uh, I thought I'd write a wee diary just so that maybe when I'm sitting in my rocking chair with my cup of <laughs> cocoa and my slippers on, I could uh, look back and remind myself what happened and what was a very momentous year for Scottish politics. Um, and I started writing the diary each day and it was really just my own scribbles and then I fully intended after the referendum for it to stop but uh, very soon after the referendum Joanne Lamont resigned and I found myself as a very reluctant candidate in the leadership election that followed Um, and so I kept the diary going and that finished we then had the Jim Murphy era um, that was impossible not to write about that Mm -hmm. Um, and then we had um, the 2015 election debacle in Scotland and Following that, the resignation of Ed Miliband and Jeremy Corbyn, and I twice was the campaign manager for Jeremy in his leadership election contest. Then we had, of course, in between all that, with Donald Trump and, and a small matter. Is that book. covered in the book? Yeah. Uh, I don't maybe refer to him once or twice. <laughs> uh, and Brexit. And, um, of course. So we've got all of that. Um, I kind of thought, bloody hell, when am I going to be able to stop writing this stuff? Going. So I just had to call it a day uh, uh, at some point. So it co- covers all of that, which I think the second part of the book title, A Journey Through Turbulent Times, is really what I'm trying to reflect, because the last five or six years have certainly been that. Absolutely, especially for Scottish Labour. Um, I want to pick up in the, in the, the second word there, the socialism and hope, the, the word hope, because you mentioned American politics, and that was pretty much the theme of Barack Obama's election campaigns, is, is hope for America, and, um, and then we saw Jeremy Corbyn as well, mm-hmm. and, and what I experienced is you know, campaigning for Matt Key in Glasgow South West was we were winning a lot of people back because they felt that the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn gave them hope. Is that why the, the word hope features in your... Partly it is, um, it's, it's partly about that, that, you know, from a position where post-referendum and post the 2015 election, where actually there was a real existential crisis for the Labour Party about, you know, are we going to remain in existence? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I personally think we'll always need the Labour Party irrespective of what yes. happens. Um, but at that point, the, you know, people were really questioning the future of the Scottish Labour Party. But out of that came a lot of hope. And we, the, Corbyn, um, the 2017 general election, um, and getting us to a position where we almost nicked the election from the depths of despair yes. very 
you know a few months previous to that. But also, actually, the hope element uh, there's personal element to that as well. And that um, you know, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer um, <laughs> while I was fighting the 2015 election. We were, she was going through chemotherapy and okay. all of that. And the the, the hope element, um, I hope is refl- I hope is reflected in uh, that part of the book as well. So do you kind of talk about some personal issues yes, like that as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, just reflecting on that period uh, uh, in my life and uh, the two sort of big personal issues that I reflect on are, are that and um, the death of um, my political mentor Tam Diel, who was um, yeah, who, who was uh, my greatest friend in politics. So the two personal issues and I think. Uh, there's a bit of the hope element in that as well. Do you know when I think when I kind of seen the advert for the book and and I seen the seen your background, I was really fascinated by that, and I almost thought like the the word hope as well. There's hope for anybody in politics because you started. Well, tell certainly. us about your journey. Certainly hope for anybody in politics. If I can, <laughs> uh, if I can get any parliament, that's for sure. I mean, that, <laughs> well, but that's the thing though. Like you were a bricklayer. Yeah. Yes. And then yeah. you were a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, well, I, 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 I've had. A number of jobs. I was. A, I wanted to be a chef when I left school, um, and I did work as a chef for a while. But the, the, it was for David Murray, actually, the guy who owned Rangers, oh, really? uh, in a hotel that he owned, and uh, the wages were crap, the conditions were crap. And uh, did you not get an EBT? <laughs> I was lucky to get paid. I think. Um, and I, uh, I worked there for about six months, uh, and I was having to get up at about half four in the morning. At times, my dad was coming in to pick me up at about half past three in the morning when I finished. Well, getting up in the middle of the night, then going back to his bed to go to his work, and he's a bricklayer as well. You know, so you know, it's a physically demanding job. So it, it, it's at that point he said, "Look, you need to, you need to make a decision whether you're going to keep this going." And actually, it, it kind of disillusioned me for staying into um, the, the world of cooking. Uh, although I still love cooking and uh, it's now become cool. <laughs> okay. um, but anyway, uh, so my dad says, um, why don't you come and serve your apprenticeship with me? So I did a YTS at first, uh, £27.50 a week, and then uh, an apprenticeship. And um, and I worked 10 years in the trade. Um, at times I hated it, at times I loved it. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life, though. Okay. I've met the most intelligent, mm-hmm. smart people who are the who were real sharp businessmen, who were funny, who were just had natural intelligence. Most of them never had a, a formal qualification. Yeah, I can believe that, yeah. But by God, they were the, some of the brightest and, and funniest people that I ever came across. And um, so I never regretted for a second uh, serving my apprenticeship. Um, but I always had a kind of n- nagging doubt that I should have made, made more education. And my mum and my dad both encouraged me to stay on at school, but I wasn't. I wasn't for it. Um, so about seven or eight years after I started my apprenticeship, I uh, I went to night class uh, at college just for to do one higher. Mm-hmm. Just uh, it was English, just to kind of prove that I wasn't as daft as I thought I was. Uh, uh, and um, I got that, and then I did another two the following year. And I'd, my sister said, "You know, go to university," and I was like. <laughs> me to do what and uh, so eventually I did and uh, I got, got my degree and when I graduated I worked in social housing I was a housing officer um, which was a, a job I loved because you saw people's life in the raw Absolutely. and it was mm-hmm. a great apprent- apprenticeship for getting into politics and then eventually I was uh, I went back and did my teaching qualification Fantastic now 
Can we go back to the era you, you started writing the book on the 1st of January 2014 and, and I'm interested in that because I done my undergrad in politics and social policy between 2009 and 2014 and, and like since I've stayed under my PhD I've got to know a lot of the academics especially the ones that teach politics and stuff and um, they they just kind of think the real book is out the window now at Scottish mm. politics because there's so much things that happened. Mm. Like, so you were elected in 2011? Yeah, yeah. So when you came in, you came in with an SNP, you had a majority mm. and a parliament designed not to have a majority. Well, actually, that that's a, a very um, important point. Um, 2011, the, my joke is uh, that the election result for Labour was so bad that I was elected. <laughs> And I say that to make uh, it's, it's a flippant point to make a serious point because we should never have had people third on the list, the regional list, being elected to Parliament. We should have been winning constituency seats. So I, 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 I use that joke to make a, a, a serious point. It showed you how far we had fallen in the constituency vote. Because if we had took constituency seats, taken constituency seats, I would not have been elected. Yeah. So um, uh, I got there by luck, absolute luck. But it was my view that having got there by sheer luck, I may have only been there for one term. Therefore, I was going to enjoy myself and I was going to get stuck in. And I hope I have done that. Yeah, I think you've kind of left that left that an excellent and it made an excellent impact, Neil. Now let's fast forward then two thousand and fifteen. So we saw two thousand and eleven, Labour Party, like you said, you know, should be winning constituencies, losing them all over the place to the SNP. Then two thousand and fifteen happens the general election, and um, where we're left with one Labour MP. Do you think it, it's going to keep getting worse by that point? What what was the um, thinking there? Um, I think it. I mean, it was. A traumatic night watching that election when you, you seeing good uh, good people losing their seats. Um, I'm thinking, you know, watching people like Cathy Jemison and uh, people like Jim Sheridan and others. You know, um, good people who grafted for their constituency um, and, and people across the country. My pal uh, Kenny Selby stood in uh, Kirkcaldy and Gordon Brown's seat, um, who would have made a fantastic MP. Uh, Losing by 9,000 votes, having previously Gordon Brown had a 23,000 majority. Devastating stuff. And that happened to um, people across the country, across uh, across Scotland. Um, to be left with one was uh, almost as bad as it could have got. And really it was people saying, well, what the hell do we do now? How do we fight back for that? Um, and actually one of the things that, you know, that I probably don't say in the book and I should have done it's one of the things that I, 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 I probably want to emphasise is that I'm absolutely clear that had I become leader in 2015 I would have taken us to the biggest defeat in our history because the tide was going out right? I'm absolutely convinced of that but what would have happened is the left would have been blamed for that we would have been blamed for that defeat. I would have been blamed, and the left would have been blamed for that. And it would have been a reason for not to elect people on the left ever again. And I actually think that had that happened, there is a real chance that Corbyn would never have happened. Hey, that's a good point. I've never thought about it like that. Because, so, regardless, in 2015, we were headed towards 
electoral disaster anyway. No matter who. Keir Hardy couldn't have mm. um, resurrected their hopes then because post-referendum, the tide was going out. That was just going to happen no matter who was holding the baby. Mm-hmm. Now, the result might not have been as bad. I mean, there were some really bad decisions made by those who were in leadership position at that time. It might not have been as bad, but actually it would probably have been still very bad. And therefore, I firmly believe the left would have been blamed. A left candidate comes forward at a UK level and they say, well, you don't like them, look what's happened in Scotland. And I think there's a real possibility that could have happened. When actually, the converse happened. And people saw someone who was um, very much part of the New Labour project taking us to that defeat. And I think they said, look, we've had enough of that. We've had enough of that. The Labour Party has to change. We have to move in a different direction. And actually, you know, there's somebody offering that different direction. Now, Neil, you're well known as, as I mean, Jeremy's on the front of your cover of your, of your, of your book there. Um, what did you think when Jeremy won the leadership election? It was almost like, it, I mean, a lot of people at the time said they put him on the nomination so that we could have that discussion about the left. And then, and, and when you look back, there's no doubt he was the absolute standout candidate in the uh, discussions. Well, I mean, I mean, I can empathise. I mean, I can understand because basically when I stood, it was a bit the same, you know, a room full of people saying, well, I've done it uh, or... Um, I've, like for them it was John McDonald saying well I've tried twice and Diane Abbott says well I've had a go Michael Meacher says well I had a shot and they turned around and looked and went well it's up to you mate Jeremy and, and he stepped up to the plate and I think that was uh, a very brave thing because people don't understand the scrutiny that people get go under and the pressure and the, the you know dragged all over the country and I'm only talking about my experience of that in Scotland, Scotland. you know UK wide you're talking geez, it's just a different level um, so when he stood, I think it was a hugely. Uh, I think it was very brave um, of him to do it. Um, actually, the big celebration in my office was when he got on the ballot paper. <laughs> um, I thought that was great because at least we knew there was going to be a debate. Mm-hmm. Now, let me be upfront, and I've said this many times, and I've said it to Jeremy: the ambition was for him not to be last. Um, that was our ambition in Scotland. If we can not be last, that's an achievement. Well, by God, he wasn't last. And uh, as the campaign got rolling, um, well, let me just say, the momentum worked. Uh, I was, was, was going to say, it snowballed, but the, the, the momentum that came with it was, was quite exceptional. Now... Do you talk about the, the leadership challenge that came to him? Yeah, I, do. I mean, I, I, actually the first draft of the book is much longer than, than what materialised and we had to do a lot of editing of it to get it down to a manageable size. <laughs> and uh, um, Because there's just so much to write about that whole period of, uh, you know, the, him winning, then the coup, and then uh, him winning again. I mean, the, the, you, you actually, somebody made a movie out of it before it happened you would be questioning Nemri's sanity because uh, it is a remarkable story. Now, so Jeremy then, he won the the second leadership debate. Um, it was, there was virtually no contest there. But what what do you think when you see the impact since, when you see thousands of people singing his name at Glastonbury and other venues? I mean, did you ever think you would see something it's, like that? I mean, it's, it's, that is quite bizarre at times and... Um, Actually, the t- the, where I during the general election, the bit that got me the most 
I've got um, relatives who live in West Kirby on the outskirts of Liverpool, which is um, an area where people who've made a few quid and want to live outside the city, they move to West Kirby, and it's a really nice affluent area. And uh, when I stay, my my cousin texted me and said, "There's a big event on the beach at West Kirby today, and Corbin's coming." And I'm saying, "Corbin's going to West Kirby." I mean, it would be the equivalent of him going to, you know. Beersden or you know something like that, okay. you know, that type of area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Affluent. Well, Beersden's been the no. That's probably a bad example, but a very affluent mm-hmm. area. Um, and he turned up there, and there was three thousand people on the beach to the meeting on the beach at West Kirby, and I thought something's happening big here. And actually, you could you could taste it, you could smell it, you could sense it on the doorstep that there was just a massive movement, and and up here. Um, that movement was uh, a lot of young people, and my do- for example, my daughter's pals who were all yes supporters, saying, "Oh no, we're for co-. they all turned up at the Corbyn rally the night before the election and, and, and the like." So there was a there was a big change. We only won seven seats in Scotland. It was a long way to go, but um, yeah, the potential was there. I mean, we we felt that we we could have won a lot more. Um, we now I was part of Matt Kerr's campaign in Glasgow Southwest, and we were out every day and night, and we could sense it earlier on. So, like you were saying, we we are daughters, friends. We were experiencing yeah. that everywhere we went, and working class communities, people were saying, "I like this labour policy. Yeah. I like the ten pound on the living wage. I like the NT exploited to zero our contracts. All this stuff was really resonating." And we've kind of felt that it was almost we had an open goal and, and we missed because we could have done so much better. We, um, in some senses, we had an open goal and we blutered the boy or the bar um, because sticking to that um, no referendum agenda, the people were away somewhere else. They were wanting to talk about education and health and getting people back to work and hope and. and uh, seeing a new future, all that, all that stuff that Jeremy was putting forward, they, that's where the people were, and I think mm. the Labour Party was just out of sync with that in Scotland, and actually the SNP knew that because in ten days before the referendum, uh, Nicola Sturgeon kept saying, if you want Corbyn's politics, vote SNP. Now if they had the intelligence on the ground to know that was happening we must have had it as well uh, and that was what people were sensing on the doorstep. So why, at, a, at the air war level, did that not ta- uh, change the tactics? And it should have done. And I firmly believe, had it, had it been done, then we would have had another, possibly, eight, nine uh, MPs. Quite, quite easily. Now, just to finish up, Neil, then, just give us a, a quick summary of the book. Why should people go and read this book? Why should they buy well, this book? I, I think part of it is that the... the, the um, whole uh, story of the referendum has been written largely from the position of the Yes campaign. The books that have come out, the stories that have come out, have largely been, came from that. And that's understandable because it wasn't a particularly um, uh, it wasn't a time where maybe Labour people want to reflect on too much, <laughs> given the outcome. Uh, however, um, I did not uh, campaign from a better together point of view. I very much took the red paper position on federalism and I didn't I did my utmost not to be involved in the Better Together campaign so therefore I've got a different story to tell from that and all the meetings I've done over 60 meetings um, during the referendum were all putting forward the case for federalism putting forward a different uh, approach and actually when you, when, when you did that in a public forum 
a lot of people said, well, you know, you've now got me thinking, or I might still vote yes, but that's the best Labour case I've heard put, heard put forward. And I firmly believe had we put forward a federal um, a federal position from day one and that had been an option on the ballot paper, that would have won, and it would have won handsomely. So all of that, it's a, there's a bit from a Labour perspective, and actually I'm probably one of the few uh, politicians who um, uh, in the Labour Party in Scotland who have who, who took that position, at, who you know, at an MSP level took that position, Richard Leonard being another one now, but Richard wasn't in Parliament at the time, took that position and also was heavily involved in the Corbyn campaign. Um, so I think I've kind of got maybe a unique standpoint there. Where can people get the book? Because that's always key. Where can people get the book? The book's uh, widely available, but I would urge people to, um, uh, if they want to buy it through the website, socialismandhope.com. Uh, all of the money that uh, comes in from the book, um, which we've paid the publisher costs, will go to good causes. And if you buy it through that website, it will maximise the amount we can give to good causes. So socialismandhope.com. Thank you very much, Neil. I re- really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. Thanks a lot. That was Neil Findlay talking about his new book, Socialism and Hope, A Journey Through Turbulent Times. And I want to thank Neil for taking the time to do the interview with us. Now make sure you subscribe to the Labour Talk podcast on iTunes or you can listen at soundcloud.com. We also have social media pages set up. We've got a Facebook page and we've got a Twitter page. So make sure you search for the Labour Talk podcast and follow us on social media so that you'll be updated when the new podcasts are out and i want to thank you very much for listening bye